Welcome to this week's episode, moms, of the Honest Mom Podcast. I have an incredible guest, Erin Quick, the CEO and co-founder of Pear Tree. What is Pear Tree? Well, if you've considered, have struggled with, thought of, or know a mom out there that is in the world of adoption and all the challenges domestically we can have with adoption as well as internationally, Erin is the person that you want to connect with as well as her company, Pear Tree. She knows firsthand as an adoptive mother how much we can struggle with this. All the obstacles, financially, emotionally, just the time frame, all the disappointments that can happen. And I myself have heard firsthand from people in my life where I'm like, wow, <laughs> with all the, the children that need homes out there, you would think that this process would be easier. But today, Erin brings a wealth of knowledge and business experience to helping families navigate their unique adoption journeys. Her story with her two beautiful children have inspired her, all of that has inspired her to create this company, to have passion behind it, to create an app that just launched recently, if you're listening to this today. She has had amazing awards behind her. She is a speaker. Um, she is currently a Visionary Voices member and speaker with All Rays, which is a non-for-profit on a mission to accelerate the success of female founders and funders. And she is also a guest lecturer um, with Brown University and the University of Washington. She lives um, with, on Bainbridge Island with her husband and two beautiful children. So again, a really emotional story, um, something that definitely tugged at my heart, even though I am not an adoptive parent. Um, it made me really understand how crazy difficult it is to adopt a child. And I love that Erin, there's no discriminations. She makes it easy. She makes it affordable. And now with this app, she's modernizing the world of adoption. And I would love for you to hear her story and connect with other moms with this story, share it, you know, anyone that's even thinking about the adoption process to get them connected with Erin and Pear Tree. So I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Take a listen and thanks again for joining me. Let's be real. We're not being completely honest about motherhood. Sure, we all talk about how we hate the sleepless nights, the breastfeeding, how our partner doesn't help us enough, and the toddler meltdowns. But I wanna know what's going on with you. I'm Michelle Mansfield, author and founder of The Honest Mom Project. On this podcast, we're going to talk about the motherhood shit that no one talks about, not even your best friend. Come join special guests, mom friends, and myself as we share our stories with love, honesty, humor, and definitely a few appearances from my potty mouth. Let's validate what we're all going through so we can acknowledge each of our own feelings with confidence. Let's start being honest moms with each other. Welcome to the Honest Mom Podcast. Welcome back moms to the Honest Mom Podcast. 
Michelle here, and I have an amazing guest today. Her name is Erin Quick, and she is the founder of Pear Tree. Erin, I am so excited to meet you. Um, I am just so excited to have you on the show with such an important topic that sometimes I feel like we don't talk about enough and we're not really honest about. So Erin, why don't you introduce yourself to our guests and our listeners out there? Sure. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, let's see here. So quick background on me. I spent 20 years in global brand development and ran my own firm for a while, uh, for about 13 years. And when I was running that firm, I was delaying this idea of getting pregnant, uh, until the point that it was too late. So my husband and I, when we finally decided I was ready, I was, I was in my early thirties and, um, we'd tried for a year, nothing worked, went through years and years of, uh, reproductive technology, IVF, IUIs. Um, and after my third miscarriage, we just said, let's stop. This is too painful. And so we moved into adoption kind of with all the misperceptions that so many people have thinking like, oh, this will be easier. And there's so many kids that so many infants that need homes. And uh, when we got there, we're like, what is this world? Like it's three times as expensive as IVF. It takes on average 18 to 24 months. And, um, and so we were just kind of like, we were kind of floored. And so we ended up finding a different way to adopt, which I'm happy to talk about, but that's kind of, that's the short bio on me. Yeah. You know, it's, I was in the same boat of you in the, in the sense of, you know, I had the career, I just kind of waited. And then my husband, he has two kids. So when I met him and they were in early elementary, I'm like, oh, I want some time to get to know them, which was about five years. And then all mm -hmm. of a sudden it was a year later of trying and being like, hmm, something's, you know, and, you know, it, it's just, you don't, you don't expect, you know, challenges that arise. And I, I'm just glad that you found, you found a path as difficult as it was. Um, it was a path unique to you. And you, it sounds like you really listened to what you and your, you know, husband needed at the time, but then you pivoted and went to your next challenge after that. Yeah. I think, I mean, for anyone that's going through building a family, when you try kind of the, you know, the natural way and it doesn't work and you're forced to pursue kind of an alternate path, it is really eye-opening. And I, having, even going through IVF, I remember thinking back to my friends that had been through it and realizing like, oh my gosh, I had no idea how hard this was for you until you actually get into it. And, and that's, that's, that applies through anybody going through IVF. It applies for anybody that's adopting. Like it's just um, the, they're, I call them the dark days, but they're really, really emotional journeys that people are on with this pursuit to build a family. And for women in their early thirties, you know, we all are like keeping tabs on each other. Like, oh, she's not drinking at this party. Maybe she's pregnant. Mm -hmm. And so it's like that weird period of time where like, you're kind of feel like you're under a microscope. And like, to your point, people are looking at you like, well, how come you guys aren't having a baby yet? Yeah. Yeah. My brother just said that to me last week, how many friends, because they're in their early forties and they've been married for, you know, a decade. And it's like the questions that they still get from people that are really close to them, that they're, you know, the, and my brother's like, I know their intentions aren't to like piss me off, but mm -hmm. he's like, it's kind of just like, okay, you guys know us. <laughs> and like, it's kind of none of your business, but you know, <laughs> you don't want to say that rudely, you know? Yeah. Um, so it's hard. It's that juggling of 
you know, people wanting to know about your life and caring about you, but it's such a personal and emotional, like you said, I read in one of the blogs, you know, that how much of a mental roller coaster it it can be. Um, and you acknowledge that for the birth mom as well as adoptive an adoptive mm-hmm. mom. And I'm going to say mom a lot throughout this, but I am referring to, you know, the parents as well, obviously, but yeah. most of the listeners here are moms, but how can, can you dive a little deeper on the mental roller coaster for the birth mom as well as the adoptive mom? Yeah. So I think, uh, for a lot of birth moms, I mean, the, the kind of the strange part about adoption, I guess, maybe to start out is that no one, no one pursues adoption on, from a birth mom standpoint, no one pursues it. Like, yeah, I can't wait to place a child for adoption. It just doesn't happen. And so there's all like in every adoption, there's just, there's the, the reality is that, that there's kind of a a component of it that's rooted somewhat in sadness. And so it's, you know, like a birth mom typically is in a situation where she's found herself pregnant and, and has limited options in terms of what she can do. And so when she decides, I mean, her choices obviously are parenting, terminating or placing for adoption. And, and all of those, if you're in a position where you don't have the resources um, to parent or um, support network to help you or, for whatever reason, you don't believe in termination or you don't want to do it, like, you know, adoption is a great choice, but it's still like, you're going to carry a child for 40 weeks and then place it with a, a family that you choose. And that's a decision that's going to live with you for the rest of your life. And so, you know, it's not that you're, you're going to, you're going to think about that baby forever. And luckily in the world of adoption, 90% of adoptions are now open meaning the birth family will play a role with the adoptive family and, and, and all in service to the child, like making sure that the child has, as you know, is growing up as healthy, both physically and mentally as possible. Um, but that's, again, like it's something that, that is going to affect you for the rest of your life. And what we find a lot with, uh, birth moms is, and, and a lot of this is coming because we have a birth mom on staff and she's been really helpful in educating our team, but that it's, it's a roller coaster ride, and there's seasons, uh, seasons to grief that you know, like you can be very confident in the family that you chose, and still be sad that you weren't able to parent. Mm-hmm. And so, um, one of the things that that we try to do that's very different at Pear Tree is we want to make sure that that birth moms always have access to lifetime support when they need it, when they're in one of those down seasons, that they have access to people that have have been through the been through placing a child for adoption and they have access to really good mental health resources to help them build the tools not to get over it because you never get over it but learn how to deal with it better that's amazing that you do that um, I speak a lot about the world of postpartum depression and anxiety mm-hmm. and just you know the mental um, health side of motherhood and do we, yeah, like talking about the birth mom and, and we'll talk later about the adoptive mom, but talking about the, does the birth mom have access if she's going through some postpartum feelings that she is having a hard time with? Oh yeah, for sure. And we, so we donate 5% of all of our subscription fees to organizations that support lifetime healing for birth moms. And then we partner with them. In fact, the birth mom that's on staff on Pear Tree is also on the board of this group called the Lifetime Healing Foundation. 
And it was started by another birth mom who's a, who's a huge advocate for mental health resources for birth moms. Um, but we make sure that she feels connected to either mental health resources in her community, um, support groups that we put on that are moderated and facilitated by birth moms uh, and or pointing her in the direction of organizations like the Lifetime Healing Foundation so that she has many, many resources to kind of meet her wherever she is in, in her process. And what, since we're on the topic, it's so interesting also learning about the postpartum feelings of the adoptive mom. And you would think that biology is controlling all this stuff, but it's not. And it's interesting how, you know, adoptive moms go through, can go through postpartum um, depression. They call it post-adoption depression, which I'm sure you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and like some of the exact same, I'm, I was reading the symptoms and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is like almost the same thing. Um, do you offer services for that adoptive mother as well? Is it, does it pair? Like, it doesn't matter if you're the adoptive mom or the birth mom. Yeah. And, and that's a variety of them. So for, for everyone that's part of Pear Tree, we offer what we call unlimited education. So we've curated and partnered with kind of like the Harvard of education for adoption. And it covers all of the topics from mm. you know, early stages of like, Hey, I'm interested in adoption all the way through like the child that I adopted is this age now. And these are the things that are happening and how do I deal with them? Because I remember going through it personally. I remember thinking like, I have worked so hard to build this family, like, like relentlessly focused on building this family. And I remember when my son was, I don't know, a little between two and three months old. And, you know, you're in like the, the deep, you know, every three hours you're up in the middle of the night and you're exhausted. And I remember thinking like, having some, like, can I be upset about this or can I, is it okay to complain about this? Because I like, <laughs> you know, like if you, like I've, this is all I've ever wanted. Yeah. And now I have like, I'm like, can I, is it okay to be questioning? Did I do the right thing? You know, it's like that, those kind of feelings that people have that you're just like, uh, you know, totally associated with adoptive parents when, you know, it's all you've ever wanted and you've worked so hard and you've promised another family that you will care all the time for this family or for this child that, you know, it, it, it can be confusing. Yeah. And you bring up such a great an interesting and important topic that, that guilt that goes behind. Like I have a, I have a friend who, oh my gosh, her, her fertility story is incredible. And she finally, um, you know, was able with IVF to, um, she had her baby and just all of those feelings that she was having, but she felt too guilty to talk about them. And as if she should be grateful, you know, for all the struggles and same thing, you know, what you're talking about with your story. And, you know, there's a study out there um, that I will link into the show notes that, you know, one of the main factor we could all agree on as mothers, but the main factor most strongly associated with depression is fatigue. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think with anything in life, no matter how it is brought into your life, um, how much you search for it, want it, or maybe it's a surprise. It's okay if there are like feelings of doubt, sometimes feelings of regret, 
because it's like the biggest decision and biggest change in your, in your, at least it was in my life where oh, huge. I doubt yeah. it. Yeah. I doubt it. I'm like, oh my gosh, life was so easy before, or maybe I'm not cut out for this or <laughs> yes. I'm not, in, I'm not enjoying it. Like I don't see, I'm not like, Ooh, Google, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah exactly. It doesn't mean that we're bad mothers. No. And I think with an adoptive parent, so you, you talked about adoptive parent guilt too. You realize, you know, sometimes like, you know, at the hospital, you know, when you are now an adoptive mom of four or five hours, you realize very quickly that your joy, that you're being able to, like, your family is now is being built is the direct inverse to her pain. And so you have all those feelings of being a new mom and you're so tired and you have all those you know, the flood of emotions that are like, is this right? Am I cut out for this? Can I do this? Was this the right thing? And then you have kind of the, you know, the realization that, that this family that you've built is the direct, you know, and the joy around it is the direct inverse to her pain. And then you add on the responsibility that you feel to this other family. And it gets, what I tell families all the time, adoptive families is it's the heaviest thing you will ever go through. It's not bad necessarily, but it is heavy. And so you need to have access to a support network. And so that's why we put on monthly support groups for adoptive parents. And again, provide all of the education and then access recommendations to resources to make sure that our families feel really supported in that process, because, you know, you're going through all those questions and a lot of times you can feel alone and there's no reason to feel, feel that way because there is a huge community of people that have been touched by adoption. Yeah. Cause there's so, I can only imagine how many possible feelings there are for the adoptive parent parents to, you know, that have not only during the process of adopting, but once the, you know, the baby or child is brought into their home, did you have any um, yourself, you and your husband have any feelings that you did not expect good and um, on the challenging side, both sides of that, when you were, you were actually going through the process of adoption and you weren't sure how it was going to go. Yeah, for sure. I think the biggest kind of 180 that we did is, and we see a lot of adoptive families that feel this way is most adoptive families that we work with kind of approach adoption. And I think they're more hopeful that the adoption will actually be closed because they're a little bit intimidated or afraid of what it would mean to have a, you know, quote unquote, open relationship with the birth family. Cause they, you know, like people picture things like, you know, the birth family showing up on their doorstep unexpected or trying to co-parent with them. And it's just, that is so not what open adoption is. Um, but I think a lot of families feel that way going into it. And I know I sure did, but I was kind of like, okay, thank you. Like, you know, your, your chapter is done and our book is just being written that kind of thing. And, and when you walk into the hospital and see this person that has carried this child for 40 weeks, knowing the entire time that she's going to place that child with us, you see that strength and that courage. It's like, I, I, I remember walking into the, our birth mom's hospital room and just like immediately tearing up because I was like, please be in my life forever. I, I want our son. And I really mean our <laughs> collectively, I want our son to know your strength. Like it's, it's so, it's such a, it's so impressive that um, I think a lot of families, once they go through the actual adoption, they're like, they do a huge flip-flop and they're like, oh no, 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 please, 
please be in my life forever. What can we do? How open can we make this for you? Like, what are you comfortable with? So I think that's probably the biggest, you know, um, change that we went through in terms of, in terms of our adoption and that we see most of our families experience too. Yeah, that's definitely a misunderstanding. I have had of adoption because I think I watched way too many Lifetime movies, (laughs) you know, and you're like, oh my gosh, someone's going to sneak into, you know, my house and like, you know, or there's going to be some, or, you know, I remember Sex in the City with Charlotte and her husband and they met the birth mom and she's like, we've changed our mind and they're sitting there at a dining room table. Like what the heck? Um, Yeah. So it's, you know, but it's interesting. And I don't know, like, if this comes within time, or if you, like you said, you know, when you see that, that mother, you know, you, that, that feeling comes, but like I read, for example, on your, um, on your website, the, and they're also on the web and other sources, but the amazing story about Barrett and Seth with their um, son Estes. And I was like reading it and you can go into more detail, but I was like, this is an amazing story. And exactly what you were just saying about your story, I feel like I'd want to do the same thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I don't know if you want to go into like Barrett and Seth in a nutshell, like what's go, like what happened with their adoption of their son and what's going to be happening hopefully again. Sure. Yeah. So I think they're, they are a very good uh, example for us to use. So Seth and Barrett, LGBTQ couple, and they signed up with Paratree at the same time they signed on with an agency. And if there's one thing anybody that is looking into adoption takes out of this podcast, it's you have to know that in half the states in the country, you do not have to use an agency to adopt. And that's like, people just don't don't understand that. We can talk about that in a minute. So Mm -hmm. Seth and Barrett, thinking they were doing the right thing, signed up with an agency, but then also signed on with Paratree. And so they, they spent around 20 grand deposit with the agency and, um, you know, pear tree at the, is $75 a month. So a huge difference in terms of financial, uh, investment. And after being on pear tree for only 10 days, they matched, they matched with the birth mom. And, um, and so they went back to the agency and said, Hey, we, we matched. Can we have our money back? And agency said, no. Oh my gosh. Which which happens, Uh, it happens often. And so what we always tell families is you wanna try to preserve your budget for as long as you possibly can. That's why Paratree tries to make it as inexpensive as possible early on. So um, so they match with the birth mom and they build this great relationship with her and Estes is born and um, Seth and Barrett are huge proponents of open adoption (laughs) and so much so that they they have a very, very good loving, open relationship with Iris, their birth mom. And, uh, she is now going to become a surrogate for them. And so they will be, they'll be adding to their family via surrogacy via the birth mom from pear tree. That is amazing. Now, do they, does Iris live, um, near, um, Barrett and Seth? No, Mm -mm. she lives in the Midwest and Seth and Barrett live in Washington state. Okay. So it's like a flying distance, a doable flying distance though, where like they, do they plan on having, like interaction with her or, you know, visits and that kind of thing. Yeah. And so, so when people say open adoption, there's a, there's a pretty wide spectrum of what open means. So open can mean an email once a year with here's the update. Here's some of the milestones. Here are some pictures and videos. 
that's, that can be open. And then, you know, open on the other side of the spectrum is you're flying there and visiting birth families flying to you and visiting there's you're spending holidays together. There's, there's presents being exchanged. You're texting on a regular basis. So there's a really wide range and, and they're on kind of the, the way more open range of that. And, you know, our two adoptions, just as an, an example, we have an adoption that um, falls on the one email once a year spectrum. And we have a, an adoption that falls on the come visit. They're the first people that we text when our daughter does anything amazing or frustrating. <laughs> uh, and, and, you know, we were sending presents back and forth to our kiddos at, at the holidays. So it's, it, it can be, it can be whatever you want it to be. And the adopting family and birth family decide on that together. Yeah. A lot of communication, it seems like, uh, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, like any, any relationship, but it's just incredible what like your children and, you know, Estes, like the amount of love that is surrounding, you know, them. And I just think that's so incredible. So it's, I'm just glad that you have shared these stories because again, if there's any lifetime watchers out there from the past, it's like, Mm -hmm. it can be really, you know, scary. And maybe you don't hear the, the, the stories that you're telling right now. Um, and then, you know, on the world of, you know, you mentioned the 20 grand and the agency, like that is, you know, with family members of mine, um, that is what has stopped them is them mm-hmm. telling me the financial side of it, where I was like, oh my gosh, like getting almost into the six figure area for mm-hmm. certain situations. And where does that money go to? Or yeah, towards, so- I guess. <laughs> Yeah, so average cost to adopt an infant in the US is 40 to 60,000 dollars and it's and it's going up. And for us, I mean that just feels I mean those are we talk to families all the time that had to cash in a 401k in order to be able to pay for it or take out huge loans or save for 6 years. And the the sad fact is that right now in you know 20% of adoptions the birth mom does change her mind. And so you don't get that money back, you know, if, if she does change her mind. So a lot of families, they go through it. And if it doesn't happen for them, they don't get another chance. And so for, that's kind of been one of the, the missions behind pear tree is how do we take, how do we, how do we build a process where we are supporting families throughout, you know, every step of the journey, but we don't have to charge these astronomical fees. Like how do we, and our goal is to put it on par with giving birth to a child in a hospital naturally, which would be around 15,000, which is still not a small amount of money, but it's, it, it makes access to adoption more possible for more families. And because right now, the other kind of sad reality is that adoption is really only an option to people that have some level of wealth or are willing to go into extreme debt. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's frustrating. Yeah. And then I, people give up. They think that that that's done. They're done, you know? And that's, yeah. 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 I have, I have a family member that's at that point right now. They're just done. They're mentally done with fertility and then, you know, you know, things that they've done. And then they went through the, what you just said and lost a lot of money and they're just like, you know, they're done. And it well, you, of, you send them to pear tree. We will take um, care of them. I did. I did. Okay. I sent it to another family member, not directly, but the parents saying like, I, I don't know where they're at right now with like emotions, but 
it, as their mother, if you want to share, you know, that. So yes, I did. Because I love, like, can you explain, like, I love how you compare to like, almost like online dating mm-hmm. with the yeah. way you match. So why don't you go into a little bit of detail with that? Cause it's so cool for me to hear that. Yeah. So on every major adoption journey, there's kind of three major milestones. The first one for families is you have to be approved to adopt. That's called a home study. The second one is kind of the, the piece that's most romanticized. And that's the matching where an adoptive parent connects with an expectant mom and they decide like, yes, let's move forward together. And then the third piece is legal. And so Paratree provides this platform now that, that provides services that map to each one of those milestones. So we can approve families to adopt, we can help them connect. And then we, we set them up with our curated group of very highly regarded adoption attorneys in the US. So on the matching side, when a family is ready to start matching, they build a profile on Paratree. And as part of that process, we put them through kind of a personality test Mm. and it classifies them as one of 12 major personality types. And it's all based on Carl Jung's archetypes. So there aren't, there isn't like a bad personality that somebody's going to get. They're all, they're all good. Uh, And then when an expectant mom registers, she picks the personality types that she's most drawn to. And that's kind of how the first layer of matching works. And the reason to do that is because when we were doing a bunch of research with expectant moms before we launched, they all literally all said, like, we want to know, we're trying to figure out like what the future looks like. If we pick this family, we don't want to just look at, you know, like pretty pictures of them color coordinated in a wheat field. We want to know like, what, what does the future hold? And so personality is the leading indicator of behavior. And so that's, that's kind of why we use at the, you know, first order level, we use personality to help her determine what kind of family she's interested in. So we've had expectant moms that are like, Hey, I want a family that is going to take this baby on a plane. Cause I've never been on a plane and see new things and expose them to cultures and foods that they wouldn't normally see. And they're like, okay, well, here's all the explorer families versus expectant moms that are like, I don't care if you leave the house to smother her in love and attention. And you're like, all right, well, here's all the caregiver families. And so it really helps. It really helps them find a highly compatible match for what they envision the future for her and her child to look like. And, and that's wonderful just in terms of being able for her to get what she wants, but it also serves this other purpose where, like we talked about earlier, if she feels more confident in her decision, the likelihood that she changes her mind goes down. Yeah. Yeah. There's just seems to be more I'm trying to think of the word, you know, when she's searching and seeing, like almost seeing her, her child's future and Mm -hmm. feeling so confident about that, that that makes her realize why she needs to do what she's doing. Yeah. Like it's, it's just, it's one of those things like you, you want the expectant mom to feel as comfortable and confident as she possibly can in this situation. Mm -hmm. And what we've heard in the past from a lot of expectant moms that have worked with agencies. And let me just caveat this, that we partner with a lot of agencies that are wonderful and working with an agency is wonderful. If, oh, if I'm sure yeah. their services are, are right for yeah, you, like any but, industry, yeah, like any industry, but for families that want to have a little bit more control over their process and they are, they would like to have these direct connections with expectant moms. Then I think working with a parachute is a great idea, but I think for, 
for what we've heard with expectant moms is if they go to an agency, and this is another just sad reality of adoption, the minute she walks inside the door of an agency, whether or not the intentions of everybody in that agency are good, they are now financially incentivized to have her place her baby with one of their families, kind of regardless of whether or not it's the exact right fit for her. Mm. So a lot of times it's like, here's a family, it's good enough, you know, and the birth mom continues on with her pregnancy or the expectant mom continues on with her pregnancy. And then she ends up changing her mind at the last minute because she doesn't feel hundred percent confident. So anything we can do, and that's one of the reasons that we don't just have, you know, 20 families. We literally unlock the nation of adopting families to these women and tell them like, get picky. Like you can, you can sort, you know, by personality, you can location, education, political affiliation down to Zodiac sign was like, it's that important that you feel confident in this family because a highly compatible match will, will help you kind of warranty what the future looks like for you and your child. Yeah. So, you know, adoption obviously isn't for everyone, just like a lot of things in life. So how does a parent know that adoption is right for them and their family? Yeah, it's not right for everybody. And I, and I think the key to that is education. And again, like that's one of the reasons that in a lot of cases in adoption, a lot of situations or organizations make families pay extra to have access to really good education. And we just include it at Pear Tree because we just think the more educated a family is on all the variables of adoption, the, the better the adoption will go. And it allows people to like, yes, this is for me or mm, no, I did, this is not what I was expecting it to be. And it's, it's not for me. And they stop pursuing it um, because we see a lot of families, obviously, just like we were, spill out of reproductive technology. And they haven't maybe let go of this kind of dream of like, what, what's my DNA going to make? And so, you know, they have to go through kind of a, a waiting process. And that process is different for everybody. But just to make sure like, no, I understand that if I'm going to pursue adoption, that it means I will have some level of responsibility to another family that created this beautiful child that I get to call mine now. Um, so it's, you know, it's, it isn't for everybody. And I think making sure that you're, you're as educated as you possibly can be on all the variables is the, the most essential part of making the decision to pursue adoption or not. Are there any like flags that come up, you know, that are common flags for a, a, like someone that is looking into adopting? Are there any like certain things that just are kind of, I hate the word red flags, but you know, it's like that are, that, you know, they should be looking out for to indicate that it may or may not be right for them. Um, I don't know if it like red flags necessarily, but it is, I think the, the biggest realization is that, um, this child is made by somebody else and that person is going to want to most likely be involved in the process. And so mm -hmm. I think if that, if that scares you away, then that's probably the right thing. Okay. Yeah. Like something like that. Exactly. Paying attention to like your gut and what, yeah, you know, the feelings that arise that you may not be comfortable with. Yeah. But I, I can honestly tell people that now that we've adopted two children and we have these relationships with their birth families, I can't imagine, I can't imagine our family any other way. And I can't yeah. imagine these other families not being part of our family. Yeah. You mentioned DNA just a little bit ago and, you know, it's so, it, it's, it's such a common thing to look at biology DNA when it comes to parenting. And 
I want you to maybe, if you do have any thoughts on this, because this just kind of came up as, as you were talking, the, the other side of quote unquote DNA of like your imprint on your, your child in other ways than biology and, and how they will grow up to be this amazing human in other ways versus biology. Yeah. I mean, it's the nature versus nurture question that, that we literally see happen in front of our eyes. So my son makes the same facial expressions as my husband, Mm. you know, and they, they start to talk the same way that you do. And so they naturally just start to kind of take on characteristics, more of the external characteristics of your personality. Um, But there are things that, you know, my son loves music and, and neither me or my husband are very musically inclined at all. And, but in, you know, in, in, in our relationship with our birth family, we realized their family really is. And so it's like, they're, it's such a cool, I mean, I call it a, you know, day-to-day experiment, but it's such a cool uh, thing to get to witness on a daily basis that kind of the balance of nature and nurture that he's literally composed of, of DNA from another family. And yet, because he's exposed to us every day, he, he takes on our characteristics too. So there are these amazing blends of two families and, you know, what's nature and what's nurture. It's hard to like define exactly, but it's a pretty cool thing to witness. Yeah. And, you know, I, (laughs) speaking of biology and with families, it doesn't mean that you're going to have like, just because you're biologically related or it's your biological father doesn't mean that there's going to be this incredible relationship because you share the same. And we have examples in our family where I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, it's like, I think of the episode or not episode, but the movie Parenthood with Steve Martin (laughs) and Keanu Reeves in the kitchen where um, the the mom of Martha Plimpton, I forgot how many times I've seen that that movie. I forget the mom's name. And he comes in after helping her son with like some, you know, talk. So, you know, some birds and the bees talk and he's like, man, he's like, they can give, you know, so-and-so a license to fish, to drive, you know, whatever, but they can give any asshole, you know, any asshole can be a parent. (laughs) Yes, yes, exactly. You know, and it's like that Keanu Reeves was like this role model for her son. And it's like, yeah, like just because there's biology involved doesn't mean that that's the end all be all in regards to being a good parent, a good brother, um, I look at like my um, stepchildren, they're in their twenties and how they are with um, my daughter. And it's like, that's her brother. Yeah. That's her sister. That's not her half brother. I don't overly explain. I just say brother and sister. And that's what she knows. And it's like, there's no biological, t- well, I guess their dad, but, um, but you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. I love all the relationships and blended families and all of like how family, there's no definition of what family really is it's so unique and it can be an incredible experience in any way oh hugely I mean we had and that there's um like you know philosophical situations then come up but then there's actually like you know tangible examples of how this plays out and how our society I is I feel like it's kind of on the cusp of like you know like what you just said family like what is the definition of family now and there's so many different ways to build a family and blended families that it's almost becoming the norm. But, you know, for example, my eight-year-old brought home a family tree project where the first page was 
what's your ancestral background? And the second page was, all right, fill out the family tree. And I was like, huh, what do we do here? That's you know, so for ancestral information, we, we filled out his actual like DNA ancestral information, like where, you know, where his DNA comes from, because we know that luckily thanks to the birth parents and things like 23 and me. And then for the family tree, we, we put our family tree down. Cause it's like, this is your grandma that you see every day. Here's your grandpa that you see every day. Here's aunt Megan and aunt Jen, you know, uncle Matt. So it's like, it's, it's our family, but it's kind of that idea of like, where's that line and how do we manage, you know, quote unquote family going forward where, you know, now one in eight families are diagnosed with infertility and pursue an alternate path to building. And with LGBTQ couples growing at least 4% year over year, like, you know, there's just family is for sure in a transition right now. Well, and you, it, it, from what I see with Pear Tree, you are so inclusive, mm-hmm. um, you know, so if any family is out there wondering if they're quote unquote good enough or, you know, like qualify, you know, like it, it just seems like you have such an inclusive, open door to people that just breaks so many barriers when it comes to this, because I think there's a lot of misunderstandings that come with adoption at times. Oh, hugely. And there is a lot, there's, I call it the underbelly of adoption, but there's a lot of discrimination that happens because so much of the industry has been faith-based for so long. And so they, they're allowed to kind of pick and choose who they want to work with, but in doing so it's been pretty, you know, exclusive. And so for, for families, we say, you know, adoption for all is kind of one of our mottos and Um, We don't discriminate based on family structure because it's not just like LGBTQ families that are discriminated against. It's families of certain faiths. uh, And it's also um, single person families. So if you're a single mom wanting to adopt or a single dad wanting to adopt and, and also age that a lot of agencies won't work with you if you're of a certain age. Wow. Yeah. So it's like all of the discrimination that happens in this one industry. And that, that's again, you know, how do we reduce the fees, but how do we increase access so that all people, you know, who are we to tell a family that they can or can't adopt? Like if, if the, if the state that you live in says you pass a home study, which is the approval to adopt, if the state says you can adopt, then who are we to tell you that you can't? So our goal is to make, make adoption accessible to, to all people. And you know, it's interesting, you know, I, I look at myself and I say this, to, I, I'm a fitness instructor on the side. Mm-hmm. And I say this to women in my classes that are like new and they're like, I, you know, and they may be in like their early fifties or late forties. I'm like almost, you know, in that four, I'm going to be 46. Like I was telling you. And I look at these women and I'm like, man, I'm like, we are feeling better and have more energy. I have more energy than I did in my twenties. And, mm-hmm. and actually I feel like I'm in better health and all these mm-hmm. things. So like when you mention all these discriminating factors, you know, whether it's faith, if you're a single mom or dad on, um, you know, an age, like I just mentioned, it's like, wow, you're mm-hmm. like eliminating or not you, but like these agencies are eliminating amazing people that are mm-hmm. so, so capable. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. It's, it's been, it's just one of those things. It is shifting. And I think you even see some of the faith-based agencies that are starting to be more open to all people, but it's, so it's, it's, it's moving in the right direction. It's just the, the industry as a whole has been pretty slow to make that move. 
yeah, I can see it taking time. It's, it's, yeah. a, it's probably a lot, but do you feel like we've also, you're talking about things shifting. Have we moved beyond that aura of shame when it comes to adoption that I've, I, I've read that in a lot of blogs, like that there's been this, you know, ancient aura of shame mm-hmm. back in the days, you know, hundreds of years ago, whatever it was, but, but are, do you feel like that? It, it seems like for me, it has, as I've seen, but I don't know, you're in that the world. Yeah, I do think, I mean, I remember going through IVF and I remember walking into the lobby, like, oh man, I hope I don't see anybody I know. Cause I was mm. kind of embarrassed to be going through it. Sure, sure. And now like, is there like, you know, like if you're a woman, you have probably at least one friend that is going through it. And so I feel like the stigma around that has, has completely, has completely been erased. And I think it's now moving to adoption that again, like the kind of hallmark movie after school specials, you know, like kids being poked fun of on the playground saying like, why didn't your real mom want you? Like that couldn't be further from the truth right now in terms of what the reality of adoption is. But it's like the kids that are actually adopted, like their parents wanted them more, their parents had to work so hard to be able to adopt them and pay an ungodly amount of money to make that, to make it happen. And so it's like, I think that the stigmas are, are starting to dissipate, but, um, I do think there's, there is some stigma that's still there. And, you know, it's like things in like terminology, like we use as a society for some reason, this terrible term about like a birth mom giving up a baby for adoption, you know, like that. Yeah. and, and that's for some reason, still kind of a phrase that's used versus saying like, no, she's placing a child for adoption. She's building a, she's building an adoption, a birth plan, you know, and the reality, like, no, these women are like, are, there's millions of families that are looking to adopt and they're, they get to go through a pretty comprehensive search to find the exact right family that they're after, you know? So it's like, it will dissipate even more, but, um, and I do think the stigma is slightly being reduced, you know, every day that passes, but I, I do think it's still there more so than it has ever been like with reproductive technology. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Again, things sometimes take time with mindset and, <laughs> and all that. And I just think companies like yours is, you know, going to just blow things out and make normalize. I talk a lot about that with my episodes with like just parenthood in general and feelings mm-hmm. we have and challenges we have um, of normalizing things so we can talk about them and, you know, and the stigma of so many things when it comes to parenthood. Yeah. And you know, what's going on in the world right now, like with the Supreme court decision that will probably happen in the next couple of weeks Yeah, where, where you know, women have three choices now. And in a lot of States in the country that it's going to go down to two choices, adoption being one of them. So it's, it's, it will be shining a light on adoption that has never been shown before. And because adoption has, has gone through such a dramatic change in the last 50 years, you know, in 1970, every adoption was closed. And that's where you hear some of these really sad, sad, sad stories about a woman giving birth and never seeing the child again Mm. versus today where, you know, a woman gives birth and she knows exactly where that family is going because she, she got to pick them and got to be very picky when picking them and is going to play a role in that child's life going forward. So I think it'll be, we're in kind of another state of flux right now for adoption. So it'll be interesting to see how you know, alternate paths to building a family are just becoming exponentially more important. And Mm -hmm. with adoption being one of those primary paths, primary, you know, alternate paths, it's, um, it's probably just, you know, more awareness that will help reduce that stigma even more. 
Yeah. Yeah. The more we talk about it. I have a question for you that I don't know if you're able to answer. Mm -hmm. Now we've spoken a lot about birth moms and infants. What about children that are, you know, in elementary school or older? Mm -hmm. Is that something that Pear Tree also focuses on? Because I know there's a lot of misunderstandings and stigma, you know, about, Mm -hmm. you know, and I'll just be honest, like, you know, I remember talking about this with um, family members because they had a friend that adopted children when they were older and all the problems they had and all this stuff. And it was just such a topic of conversation of all the challenges where I sat there at the table like, oh, wow. And you, you, you have this just misunderstanding of you know, everyone wants a newborn or, you know, mm-hmm. they want to start from this, you know, adopt from the start. And so, do are, you know, I just think of all these children that are older. Is that something that you also focus on? Um, or what are yeah. your thoughts on that subject? Because I'm talking out of my yoohoo right now. It's just going on. Your yoohoo is pretty accurate. So, so for when people say adoption, there's kind of there's two paths to adoption. So one is what's called public adoption. And that's typically also called foster care or um, foster to adopt. And those are children that for whatever reason they've put in, they've been put into foster care. And those are typically the children that you hear about that are older. And, um, but the goal of foster care is not to permanently place those children in an adoptive home. The goal of foster care is to reunite them with their biological families. And that's when people become foster families or foster parents, and they have a child in their home for a certain amount of time. And then, and then the child will go back to hopefully their biological family. And so that's kind of the public, the, the public foster side of adoption. The side that paratry is on is what we call private adoption. And the goal of private adoption is to place a child in a home permanently where the parental rights are terminated. Mm-hmm. Um, in perpetuity. And so there, it's a little bit different. And when you hear like, oh, there's so many children that need homes, that's not untrue, but those, the, the reference there is to typically children that are in the foster care system and every state has hundreds to thousands of children that are looking for foster homes while they're hoping to be reunited with their biological family. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's a little bit of a, like, which side of adoption are you talking about? Because um, there are, there are organizations that do wonderful things on the foster side and, but Paratree focuses on the private side that, um, you know, permanent placement into an adoptive home. And on that side, yes, we do see families that have started parenting for however long and are realizing like, we don't have the right resources to do this, but we don't want this child to be placed in foster care. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we would like to find a permanent home for this child and be part of that child's life. So that it still is on the private side, but that happens um, in around 15%, 10 to 15% of what Pear Tree sees. It's happening actually right now. We have a a three and a half year old that is, his family is looking for a a permanent home for him that we're helping them find find the right family. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you think, you know, you just, people assume, and I have assumed that when you have a child that is, you know, older than infancy, you know, or getting into that like elementary middle school that they're coming from a broken home or something bad has happened where there's, where these children are affected, you know, by it. And, Mm -hmm. you know, the, the mental health side of this with children, I just, my heart breaks for any child that, 
you know, goes through that. And I can imagine how challenging it is for a child to be in someone else's home wanting, you know, coming from something maybe tragic. Yeah. I mean, through no fault of their own, they are experiencing a crisis in parenting. Yeah. And, and it's hugely unfair to the children, but, um, but again, like there's wonderful organizations on the foster side. If for me, I, I knew having come off of, you know, infertility and miscarriage, I was like, I will break in half if a child is placed in my home. And then, and then I, and then I have to bring that child back after, you know, I was like, I, I'm for sure not strong enough for that. And that's people that are strong enough. They, I, I hold them on a super high pedestal. Yeah, I understand. I'm, I'm on your side, you know, of the, of that, of, you know, I wouldn't, yeah, I, I just, I just know myself and everyone's different, like you said, you know, and that's why there's just great situations for any situation out there to find that match, you know, yeah, that and, works. Yeah. And we, and we find it too. I think you're kind of, you, you touched on this a little bit, but you know, this perception of like a broken home or, you know, we, we had it said to us many times when we, when people knew that we had adopted our children, we had, we had families come to us and be like, oh, wow, you know, you've really saved this child. And, and I, mm-hmm. you know, couldn't feel more opposite. Mm-hmm. That I, I understand, you know, they have good intentions behind their statement, but I'm like, this child has saved us. Like this is, I've always ever wanted to be a mom. And, um, you know, I think they, they say that because they have this perception that this, you know, this, this child is coming from a horrible place. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, it couldn't actually, it couldn't be less true, especially on the private side that birth moms on average, 24 to 36 and they already have a child. And so they know how hard it is to parent. They can't like romanticize this idea of parenting mm. and, you know, it, they have a kid and they know, like, I do not have the day-to-day resources to do it, to do it again. Yeah. And so it's a complete, it's a decision completely based in kind of rational, loving thought. Yeah. I, I, I totally feel that from everything you're saying and Oh gosh. Yeah. I mean, in, you know, life just throws us curveballs, And I think mm-hmm. it's amazing when a woman can make a decision as such a selfless, and that's a true mother right there is a selfless mm-hmm. decision of what's best. And motherhood is not easy. Um, and just what a gift, and, you know, and, and I love your side of it as well of how much your children have given you and saved you and your husband. I think that's such a beautiful way to look at it as well. Oh yeah. I mean, it's, it, I tear up every time I like look at my kiddos when they're like eating cereal in the morning and I'm just like, how lucky are we that we yeah. get to call these kiddos our family? Yeah, absolutely. Now I have, um, a, random card that I drew. <laughs> um, it's from a, I love this pile. It's, it's my husband. When he saw the conversation cards, when I pulled it out of like the Amazon packaging, he's like, Oh, <laughs> Oh, great. What's that? And it's called healthier together, the deck. <laughs> and he's like, and I'm like, don't worry. It's for my podcast, but I will probably bring it out with him. But these are actually good cards for friends. Like I love talking, you know, talking about other things besides like what our children are doing at times, or, you know, yes. you get caught up in the motherhood thing where you're like, yes. oh, my kids doing this. it's so easy to do where I think these cards obviously have their purpose to just generate 
different types of conversations. So this one, um, there's different sections, there's different categories in this deck. And this um, category is what if. So all these questions have the what if kind of theme through them. So anything that pops into your mind after I read this to you, Erin, and if, if you're like, uh, don't worry, we <laughs> okay. can skip it because I understand when that happens. Okay, so here's what the card says. If you could travel back in time and deliver one message to your past self, what would you say? Trust the process, trust the universe. I, I'm not like super woo woo. I was raised Catholic and then, but I don't practice. And, but I just believe that there is some kind of higher power. And if you put it out in the universe, it will happen. And I feel that way. Cause I just felt the entire time, especially trying to build the family, like trying to get pregnant naturally, not working, trying to do everything I could to kind of force it to work. Um, and then same thing when we got to reproductive technology and it wasn't until I just kind of let go and was like, okay, this is, it's, this is not how we're going to, I'm not meant to carry a child for whatever reason. And when I let go and decided to pursue adoption and we went live with our profile. Literally two weeks later, we were in the hospital holding our son. So I just say, like, trust, trust the process. If you feel like you're fighting it, give it up to the universe and, and let it guide you. Well, I think that's beautiful. And the listeners out there that have listened to past episodes, especially my get to know, you know that I am, I'm very into the woo, woo, woo. I love, <laughs> I love just kind of trusting our, our gut, our feelings, the energy that's around us, paying attention and really like get connecting to our truth. Mm -hmm. Um, and sometimes we're so distracted by so many things and emotions and feelings and words that people say, or, you know, all the what ifs that may never happen and the stress that comes. And it's nice when you, it's just a beautiful thing when you can, you know, slow down, breathe, be still and listen mm -hmm. to what is being told to you. But it's hard to do that sometimes in the moment. We, I look back so many times and I'm like, oh man, if I could have told myself just to, you know, go with it and mm -hmm. not analyze things so much. But I love that you, you, you know, have that advice, you know, for listeners too. you know, just trusting the process. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think the world gives us so many things that, you know, that we just need to trust more and to be open to. So thank you for your interpretation of that. You did great. Yeah, sometimes these cards, like you sit there and you're like, I know what to say, but I'm on the spot on this podcast. And, <laughs> and sometimes it doesn't come as easy. Okay, so if you had a, um, a woman in front of you or on the couch with you right now, you both are having your coffee, tea, whatever you like to drink, blankets around you, nice and cozy. And she came to you asking you she was is has struggled and she has her own story of struggling and she was you know starting to think about the process of adoption what would be just some words of encouragement um that you find you would find would help her yeah so i it would be equal parts i think trying to educate on the process because it's the actually going through it, I think it's different. Again, like people have so many misperceptions around adoption in their head. So it'd be a kind of part educating on what it means, both, you know, the good and some of the, you know, not bad, but the, the parts of it that people are a little bit afraid of. Yeah. 
And, and then I think just, I don't know, I think for, for people that are trying to pursue it, I think making sure that they know, you know, like what are the two primary methods to adopt? And then what are the methods within each one of those paths so that they feel confident in the process? Because I think anyone doing research on the internet around adoption, like we hear it all the time. People are like, oh, I started, we wanted to adopt. And then I looked into it and I was like, nope. Uh, and so I think knowing that, you know, there is a step-by-step process and, you know, there's organizations like Peartree that exist to support you along the way. And it doesn't mean you have to, you know, take out a second mortgage on your home. And, um, but just to kind of alleviate some of the stress and create some kind of efficiencies in terms of the process and in people's minds so that they know, right. Step A, step B, step C, step D, uh, so that they can concentrate on, you know, instead of just trying to get through the logistics of adoption, they can, they could, you know, in a perfect world, actually enjoy the, enjoy the, enjoy the process. Beautiful. I love that. I love that. Now, how can all these listeners find you on social media, on the web, so they can connect with you? I will obviously have things in the show notes, but just in case, why don't you let all of our listeners know how they can get in touch with you? Yeah. So we are peartreefamily.com and it is not the fruit tree. It's P-A-I-R tree family.com. Like two family trees coming together. It was kind of the origin of our name. Oh, I love and, that. Yeah. Same thing. So Pear Tree Family on Instagram and on Facebook. That's wonderful. So listeners, I'll have all those uh, ways to get in touch with Aaron and Pear Tree in the show notes. Erin, I am so excited that I met you and that I can share this with so many people out there. If I hear of anyone talking about adoption, it's it's just such a comforting like feeling I have now and confident feeling that I can share this, um, this episode, obviously, but also just ways for them to get in touch with you because I learned so much today and I just want to thank you for that. Yeah, well, thanks for having us. Oh, you're so welcome. So moms out there, I um, look forward to connecting with you again next week with another episode of the Honest Mom Podcast. Until then, take one small step towards your honest motherhood. Thanks for listening. Thank you so much for listening to the Honest Mom Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review or comment so I can give you the content you deserve. To learn more, including what I offer to moms, check out michellemansfieldauthor.com. Most importantly, if you know a mom that needs to hear the words you heard today, please share the love and let's create a community of moms being honest for all of us.